more time. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so glad you're here today because I think this could be a church-shaping, life-changing message. I think anytime the Word of God is opened, there is that potential for that to be the case. But, but this is the sermon I had in mind uh, when I started the series uh, five weeks ago on revitalize or reviving the church. In fact, I wanted so badly to preach this first, but the Lord directed us to think about other words and phrases in the Bible before we came to this one. But I think this, as a pastor, it is my duty not only to encourage, uh, to exhort, but also to diagnose issues and problems. And if I had to diagnose one, for our ministry over the last several years, I would put this at the top. And so I want to talk to you about it today and really encourage you. And uh, we, we're making a little bit of a shift in what we've been talking about. Uh, we've been, if you haven't been with us, we've been taking words and phrases uh, that God uses in His Word that to kind of help us think about and pray about the revitalization of this particular local body. We've talked about phrases the first three weeks that have focused on what God promises to do and what God alone can do. We said there's this phrase, make your face shine on us, show us your glory. And then last week, uh, we talked about um, the hand of God. I love the middle one there, show us your glory, where we said Moses, who had this face-to-face experience with God, yet still demanded more. Said, I want more, I want more, I want more. Well, now we make a shift to the phrases that really describe what God can do, to some phrases that will weigh a little bit heavier on our responsibility. And the phrase that we're going to look at today is just one word. It's the word together. And the theme of the message is this. I want to preach to you on this topic, and I boil it down to a sentence. The whole of our Christian experience is to be done together in community with other believers And it is through that unity of purpose and mission that the church is strengthened and healthy. That's the sentence. I'll say it again. The whole of our Christian experience is to be done together in community with other believers. And it is through that unity of purpose and mission that the church is strengthened and healthy. You could almost end, if you want to write something down, you could almost end at that first first comma, The whole of our Christian experience is to be done together. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. There have been many studies, books, sermons, conferences on healthy growing churches. Many give signs or marks or characteristics of those type of churches. A couple of weeks ago, we even talked about the need for a church to be biblical and balanced In fact, I brought you to Acts 2 to begin that study this morning. Look at verse number 42. If you have your Bibles open, Acts 2, 42, it says this about the new church that's just been birthed on the day of Pentecost. What is it that they're doing right away? Well, they are devoted. They devoted themselves. There's a commitment amongst themselves You can even see in that particular phrase, there is a togetherness that is being described. There is a unity and a fellowship. Here's what they devote themselves to. Four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, 
It actually says the fellowship. The breaking of bread and prayers. Verse 43 tags a little bit on. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Let me talk to you just as way of introduction about the things that the church was devoted to and what the church today should be committed to. The word devoted is the idea of a strong commitment to. If you are, if you are devoted to something, you are all in. Well, this church was all in on several things. They were all in on doctrine. You see it right there at the beginning. The apostles' teaching. That is the doctrine. That is the foundation. The Word alone is sufficient. The new church wasn't seeking additional experiences. Hey, on the day of Pentecost, when those apostles were all speaking in tongues and everybody thought they were drunk, that was a great experience. Let's strive for that next experience. No, they were seeking God through His Word, which 1 Peter chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 40 tells us, lives and abides forever. For man is as flesh, and flesh is as grass, and will fade away. But the Bible is the foundation of a healthy church. We must be devoted to doctrine. And everybody said? Yeah, absolutely. No question. Second thing they were committed to, devoted to, they were all in. I've used this phrase several times in our study, and I think it's good. They stacked hands. You know, it's like at the end of a football huddle. All right, I want you to run the Z-crossing route, X pattern. I don't know any football language, but that sounds right. All right, everybody, break. And, and you're all stacking hands on it. It's like the church says, all right, we're going to be committed to Peter and Paul and his writings and even the Gospels of John and Hebrews. We, it's tough, but we get it. Everybody in, and everybody says, yeah, we're all in. That's what the church makes it strong and healthy. But it's not just to doctrine. It also must be all in, stacking hands on worship. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. That is a reference, of course, to the Lord's Supper. It also says they were devoted to prayer. This is formal. This is localized worship. This is the fruit of praise and the song and the prayers of the group together being lifted up. They were committed and devoted to that. Thirdly, they were committed and devoted to evangelism. You can see in verse 43, many were being brought, many signs and wonders were being brought. And if you go on, people were being added. This is all the way down in verse 47. They were being added to the church. The Lord was giving new people there. People were being saved. They were proclaiming the message of the gospel to a lost world. And so far, doctrine, worship, evangelism. Can you say, I'm all in with grace on that? Can you say that? Okay, good. The fourth one is the, is the trouble spot. It's not that you're not, I don't think it's that any of us are saying, I'm not all in on that, but it's a trouble spot for grace, and I'm going to try to explain why I think that and how we can improve it, and, and, and why I'm going to come back to this theme on the whole of our Christian experiences be done together, and the fourth thing they're all in on is the fellowship. They are in on the fellowship. So they're in on doctrine, they're in on worship, they're in evangelism, and they're in on fellowship. You see it in verse 42. It's the word, the fellowship. But if you read the rest of the passage, there's more to it than that. Verse 44, we stopped reading at verse 44, or I think we did read it. All who believed were together. There's fellowship. They had all things in common. It's the word koinonia. They shared their possessions. I'm not calling us to do that, but I'm going to explain what I mean. They were selling their possessions and belonging and giving it to the poor. And then look at 46. Day by day was a continuous fellowship. They were together. This is our, this is our word for the day. 
together they were breaking bread in homes. Now that's not talking about the Lord's Supper. That's talking about having a steak and pizza and fellowship in homes together, breaking bread, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Look, of all of the things that I mentioned, doctrine, worship, fellowship, and evangelism, in these six verses, you know what's being described the most? Is the fellowship. It's the fellowship. He, he states the other things, and we are all in on those things, but it's the togetherness that's being described. Right? They shared their possessions. They sold their possessions and gave them away. Day by day, they came together worshiping. They even came together in their homes. They praised God together. All these things are happening together. And the whole of your Christian experience is to be together. The word means, koinonia, it means a common participation in God. We have something in common together. And that's the only reason we are together. Okay? There is the... There is the there is the, uh, what word can I use to not be too strong? But there is the tendency, let's use that word, the tendency for churches to do small groups, okay? We're going to do small groups. And we're going to have a, um, we're gonna have a, uh, a young, young mother's small group, and they'll meet on Monday night at 7 o'clock. And we're going to have a senior saint's small group, and they'll meet for a buffet at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then we're going to have a, you got that. And then you're going to have a men's group, and they're going to meet. And then you're going to have a teen group, and they're going to meet. And you're going to have a, a businessmen's lunch. And, and all these things are, and they, and they set up all these small groups, and someone comes into the church, and they, they kind of identify them and say, oh, you look like a young businessman mother. Okay, so we're going to put you in the young business mother, you know, and they go in and they have fellowship. But that type of fellowship is not unique. That type of fellowship exists everywhere. What makes the fellowship of the church unique is that we are friends with and we are together with people that we would not be together with and friends with unless we had what in common? Jesus is at the center of our fellowship. That's what makes it explainable. Now, we're not saying, I'd never be friends with you if you weren't a Christian. But what we're saying is, this is what the world looks at, and they see old people and young people and businessmen and farmers and, and, and people from all different walks of life coming together and having that wonderful fellowship, and the people see that, and that is what, in a sense, draws them. See, churches can have fake fellowship. They can create it. But what we're talking about is a genuine harmony and unity that comes because we have a shared Christ. There should be a sharing of our lives. When you look around the room, look around the room, do something, do something awkward yourself, look around the room. These should be the best friends you have in the world. These should be your best friends. Oftentimes, even closer than family. Especially for those of us who have family, who may have family that are unsaved. Now, I would say that this is a, I, won't, I, won't, I don't want to say weakness and be too harsh, but this is, a, this is something that we can improve upon. This is something that is a trouble spot. We need closer fellowship, better community, and deeper camaraderie. And I'm not talking about fake. You know, I'm not talking about fake fellowship where, okay, we're going to have a small group now and, you know, we are a small group in many senses. 
But I'm talking about enjoying one another and the fellowship and friendship that comes outside these four walls. It is not enough for our church to be healthy. It is not enough to see everybody at 10.30 on Sunday and at 7 o'clock on Wednesday, and that's, that's the extent of our experience. Look at verse 46. Uh, should have put my glasses on. 46. Day by day, they went to each other's homes. They even went to the temple day by day. So we need, as I said, closer fellowship, better community, deeper camaraderie, and not because it's a cute idea and we want to be like the Knights of Columbus or 4-H or the Lions Club, but because this is the clear teaching of the Bible. The clear teaching of the Bible is this, that everything in your Christian experience happens together. But people like to be Lone Ranger Christians. There's a couple of words in the New Testament for together. One is the word homo, H-O-M-O-U. It means one and the same. It means to be like. It means to be together with. It often means to be in the same place as someone, right? Uh, let's go together to Applebee's. We'll be in the same place. That's kind of the word. But then there's another word, soon, S-U-N, which, which also means together, but it, it implies a close connection. It's not so much related to place, but it means we have a, we have a camaraderie or a compatibility or a togetherness. Like, man, are we together on this? Right? You ever said that to somebody? We, we, but then there's a deeper word, homothumadon, and this is used throughout Acts and even in the New Testament, and you'll see it in your Bible show up as they were of, quote, one accord. Remember that phrase in the Bible, of one accord? That's this word homothumadon, but it, all, it really means to be unanimous, to have the same exact mind as others. Now, I see that as a progression. It's one thing to be together in the same place. That's not the type of fellowship we're striving for. It's not even necessarily to be, hey, are we together on this? It's to have that unanimous, like-minded love and fellowship that comes from being brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I want to back up my claim about the whole, the whole theme of the lesson being that the whole of our Christian experience happens together, and I want to mention six things. Okay? I told you this was the sermon I wanted to do a month ago, so I've been thinking about it for a month. So that's why we had a shorter song service today. Let's do these six things. And again, we're going to have to walk through some passages. I'll quote some passages I'll, I'll turn to a few passages. We don't normally do it this way, but this is kind of a unique topic, okay? So follow along with me on this. Number one, what is the first thing we do together as a body? First, we are brought together. We are brought together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, Colossians 2 and verse 19. Again, you can jot those down and look them up later, but let, I wrote them down. Let me just quote them to you. The whole structure, it's talking about the church, the whole structure, structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you are being built together. It uses a, a better word in Colossians 2.19 where it says, we all hold fast to the head from the whom the whole body is knit together with the joints and the ligaments. Now, how are your joints and ligaments connected together, right? I mean, the beautiful nature of the creation of the human body. And if you've ever seen a, not a skeleton, but the skeleton of the muscles and how intricate that is, God is saying in His Word that Christians are brought together in that way and knit together. Now what this means is we, when a person comes to Christ, they're not just making, in a sense, they are, but they're not just making an individual decision. 
They are joining themselves to a group of people. This is why if a person comes to Christ, let's say a guest was here today and came to Christ and, and wondrously was saved and then was baptized, the very next thing we're asking them to do is what? Be, become a member with us. Join together with us. We don't say, hey, that was great. Hey, if you ever need anything, give us a call. You know where to reach us. It, it's not, you don't get saved and then just live your life separately. You are brought together, knit together. And the beautiful thing is, we're all brought together the same way. You know, Pete didn't pay for his salvation while I worked for it. We all got it the same way through grace by faith. And now we are this body built together and designed to be together, that's our word, to be the dwelling place of God. We are a family, brothers and sisters, built together, knit together, connected together. Living separately is not intended. It begins together. We are all brought together. Second, I'll try to get through these quickly because I do have some applications at the end. So we're brought together. And secondly, we are to gather together. Gather together. I'm, I'm going to walk you through the whole process of the Christian life, and you're going to see how the Scripture intends us to be together. Acts 2, verse 44. We're right in that passage. You don't need to turn to it. The believers were gathered together. It's also mentioned in Acts 4, verse 31. Acts 12, verse 12. Acts 14, verse 1. And Acts 14, verse 27. We are gathered together. The first thing after a person is brought together into the body of Christ is they are to then join with a local place and assemble and gather together with those other people. It is a non-negotiable aspect of our Christian life. There's a regular being together and it is for the purpose of worship, the breaking of bread, the prayers, the commitment to the apostles' teaching. Hebrews 10 verse 25 states, do not neglect this. I think I have it memorized in the King James. It says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. The next word is? Together. You do that together. Well, I can worship on my boat. Right? I go out there and I, and I fish and I just think of God. No, you can't. That is not the way God intended you to live your Christian life. You are to have a regular, some people use the term rhythm, of meeting and gathering together. And Acts 20, verse 7 tells us when the early church did it. They did it on the first day of the week. It doesn't just imply showing up at 1027 and leaving when the amen is pronounced and you're on your way. It is an intentional gathering together like the regular get-togethers of any family. In other words, let's not do this. Let's not equate meeting together with gathering together. Okay? Let's not equate meeting. You, you are not... This, this, is what, this is what unbelievers do and people who are not committed to the fellowship, you know what they do? They go to a meeting. They go to a meeting. Believers gather with other believers. Part of your health as a Christian can be identified when you wake up on Sunday morning and you think, I can't wait. We all, we all, if we're not saying I can't wait to meet with the Lord, there's a serious problem. 
But if you're not saying, I can't wait to see my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I mean, I've missed them. I can't wait to see what's happening in their lives to encourage them, exhort them, pray with them, joke with them, laugh with them, eat with them. That's what a healthy church is and does. It's not a group of people that, that kind of robotically march in the doors at the appointed hour, fulfill the responsibilities, stand when they're supposed to, sit when they're supposed to, and then walk out immediately afterwards. Folks, we should be kicking you out of here. I should be looking at my watch. Uh, guys, it's almost 1 o'clock. Could we get... That, that would be health. That would be health. Lack of health is this. All right, Leah, thank you for playing that. Uh, amen. All right, you're dismissed. And like 30 seconds later, we're all gone. I know sometimes there's different responsibilities. I'm not saying that. But there should be a lingering, a, a longing to continue to be with one another. Because... When, where meeting applies duty and agenda, gathering implies warmth and relationship. That's why I'm saying stop thinking of it as a meeting and start thinking of it as a gathering. Coming together with friends and families to share what we have in common, which is our friendship in Christ. I mean, this goes without saying uh, that a believer who absents himself from the gathering together of other believers will find himself or herself soon to be a shriveled, unhealthy believer. Well, I read my Bible every day at home. I pray every day at home. What? No, but you also need the togetherness that the fellowship provides. Third thing, we are brought together. We are gathered together regularly. The brought together is a one-time thing. The gathering together is a regular. All the rest of these are regular. The third thing is they pray together. The church should pray together. Acts 4.24. You're close to it in uh, Acts 2 there in your Bible, so this would be one you could flip over to. Acts 4.24 says, When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And then a long prayer is recorded. Acts 12, verse 12 says, they gathered together and were praying. And then this is a key verse. You might jot this down. Romans 15.30. It uses the phrase, they, Paul encourages the church to strive together in prayer. You ever striven, strove, strived? I don't know what the word is, but have you ever strived in prayer? Like, well, how would I do that? Strive is the word that means to fight. It actually includes part of the Greek word agonize. Like in Ephesians 6.12 when we're told to wrestle together in prayer against all of the powers of darkness. The early church was devoted to praying together. And it's not just something that we tack on or include because we should, but the church is supposed to be intensely laboring in prayer together with each other. When was the last time you ended a, a phone call with a fellow church member and said, why don't we just pray right now? You ever prayed on the phone? It's, it's kind of weird sometimes. Because you're kind of like, is the other person closing their eyes, right? But th there can be an intense laboring through prayer. End your conversations with prayer. Schedule times of prayer. And it's not enough to do these things alone. That's, I'm going to come back to that over and over. It is not enough to pray alone. The church should be praying together. And some people have mentioned 
insecurities about praying with each other. And I try to be understanding and sensitive to those who have those issues, but I will also say that this praying together is vital for a healthy church and it is vital for your health. If you have insecurities about praying with other people, it most likely is because you've just not done it very much. You know, I have insecurities about skydiving. You know, but that's not vital to my Christian health. But praying with each other is vital for our church's health. It's, it's not just something that, you know, on Sunday nights sometimes we break up or on Wednesday nights you have the time while the Grace Kids are meeting. But I'm talking about you sensing in another person's life they need some time of prayer and you say, hey, let's go to coffee and pray. Those things have to be happening. And I'm talking about on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just Wednesday, Sunday. It's got to happen outside of here, okay? Especially for the community to notice, but also for our own health. Fourth, brought together, gather together, pray together. Now I'm going to combine a couple here. We are to sympathize together. Sympathize together. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 and 26, just listen, says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. When one member suffers, all suffer. Do you know the next word? When one member suffers, all suffer. What's the next word? Together. And then listen to this. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We should be sympathizing with each other. Let me talk about that for a minute. Notice that we are to rejoice when another believer is honored, and we are to suffer when they are suffering. So here's the point. Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians that our experiences are supposed to be shared with other believers. When you see someone who is suffering, it should not just be that you, uh, you also you feel bad for them, but it should be as almost as if it happened to you. And if a person is honored, it should almost be as if you were the one who was honored. Now, if you are to have this type of relationship with somebody where you can rejoice with them when they're honored and suffer with them when they suffer, it, there, there's, it presupposes a few things. First of all, it presupposes that you have to know other individuals. You have to know them. You have to have a connection with them emotionally. You have to have made an investment in their lives. Right? You, 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 you cannot just have superficial relationships with people in the church and say that that's just the way I'm wired. Well, that's hogwash. Because anybody could say that. I'm wired to sleep in until 10 o'clock every morning. I'm wired to you know, lash out. You know how we're all wired? We're all wired in a sinful, wicked way. And we have to overcome that to do what God has commanded us to do. When one of us suffers, we all do. When one of us is honored, we all rejoice. And you have to make an investment in other people's lives to have those type of feelings and sympathizings with them. This is a dumb illustration, but it's all I could think of. But I remember hearing about how twins could feel the pain of another twin. I Almost like, I sense, uh, I sense my twin just, I don't know if that's real or not. Is anybody a twin? I've heard, haven't you heard that before? But that's almost like it is. Not that we have this super sense, like, oh, I sense Tony is in trouble. But, but the idea is, 
when he comes in, I should know him so well. I'm being serious. I should know him so well that if something is wrong in his life, I should what? I should sense it. And I, then I should sympathize. And then I should pray. And it should all be done together. It shouldn't be like get in the car later and be like, what was up with Tony today? He seemed really down. That's, our church is never, gonna, are never going to uh, succeed in this all-hands-on-fellowship aspect unless we start to do that. And it starts today. It starts investing in relationships today. And, and with all of us, with each of us interpersonally with one another. Fifth, we've got to move on. Fifth, these aren't optional. None of these are optional. Brought together, gather together, pray together, sympathize together, labor together. Labor, work, serve together. A camaraderie in our service, outreach, evangelism, purpose, mission. Philippians 4 verse 3 talks about those who labored together in the gospel. John 4 verse 36, when Jesus is talking about the woman in the well and he's talking about evangelism, he says, the sower and the reaper will rejoice together. Each of us must have this shared goal of serving and working together. And there's, there's so many different ways that this can play out. Um, some of the greatest joys uh, for me in ministry have been after a service opportunity or ministry opportunity happened is staying around and just sharing in the joy with the others who served. Uh, we used to do this Christmas program at Lapeer every year. and I mean, it was a, it was a thing. And it'd be 9.30 at night, 10 o'clock at night, and there'd be a there'd be a core group of about 8 to 10 that were really doing a lot of the work, and we would just sit there till 10, 11, midnight, just enjoying thinking about all that God had done and the labor and sharing. I think about what happened at VBS and, and on Wednesday night. There should be a basking in the joy of that and just an excitement and enthusiasm or when we do the ministry on uh, the Labor Day outreach or when we have a gathering of people here at Christmas uh, and afterwards, why is it that we're so quick and ready to just scurry back to our own lives? Why is that? We should, be, we should just be enjoying the labor and then enjoying the, the afterglow of the labor. There's all kinds of outward projects and things that need to be done. And some people need to take ownership in this place and in this ministry and begin stepping in and serving. And it's time to stop saying, what will I get? And start asking, what can I do? How can I fulfill my role here in this place? And the ultimate purpose of that is not just to do religious duties, but to, to uh, bring God honor and glory. We must labor together in evangelism. There must be that sharing of the workload. Before we do the last one, number six, I'll just throw out a few more because there were more than six. I'm highlighting six. Brought together, pray together, gather together, labor together, sympathize together. But how about these? In Acts 42-42, they're eating together, the early church. We, we need more of this. Time in each other's homes, around good food, laughter, and friendship. I wish you could do this. 
I mean, the moments that we enjoy in here are not enough because we just remain disjointed individuals. We're not a connected, cohesive body. Think about how you could do that. Acts 14.27 says they're testifying together. They're declaring, quote, what God has done. This is what I mean kind of like after VBS, just enjoying sharing with one another and, and celebrating what God can do. Instead of saying, well, I've got to get up early and I've got these requirements at home, the, 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 the pull should be to this place and these people. Like I said, you look around and see your best friends. These are the people I want to be with. These are the people I want to love on and enjoy and, and spend time with. And think about this. I would have put this at the end, but I want to close with the number six instead. I talk about the whole of our Christian experience being done together. From being brought together, gathering together, praying together, working together, sympathizing together. You know what the last thing is we're going to be doing together? First Thessalonians chapter 4. We are going to be caught up together. Caught up together. We're all going together. And you know where we're going to be forever? We're going to be together. It's all meant to happen together. From new birth to death, it is all together. Everything we do must be done together. Now the last one. Turn to Romans 15, the passage we read earlier. Let me finish with this. And I, I want this to be encouraging and a, like I said, a church-shaping message. But it will only be that if you as individuals say, I'm going to start doing better at this. I, I understand the need for it. The Bible teaches it. I must be better at the togetherness. And I've seen some steps of improvement. It can always get better. And I've mentioned some real specific things you can do. The ultimate goal of our, quote, togetherness is that, number six, glorify God together. Glorify God together. We're brought together, we gather together, we pray together, we sympathize together, we labor together, eat together, testify together, caught up together. Finally, all of this is to glorify God together. We've read the passage already earlier in our scripture reading, Romans 15, 1-7. The context here is between strong and weak Christians. Strong and weak Christians were characterized as people, the strong people would be people who said, well, I can engage in that sort of activity for example, eating meat offered to idols because I know it's nothing. An idol is nothing. That meat is nothing. I can do that. But if a weaker Christian feels like they, they, that's a wrong thing, then I'm not going to take them to the restaurant of food offered to idols and go, oh, isn't this good? I'm going to restrict my liberty and freedom because this weaker person. That's the context of the passage. But it goes on and extends that type of interaction to everyone. See verse 2? It says each of us. It, it's not saying strong or weak. It says each of us. Each believer is exhorted to do something in the passage. And the thing that they're exhorted to do is, is one is negative and one is positive. The negative comes before. It says, don't please ourselves, but please our neighbor. The word please there means adapt or fit, or the idea is to extend grace to, to accommodate that person. Each member who makes up the church should be looking to the other members of the church and accommodate them. And verse 7 says, welcome them or receive them. Uh, please them. Philippians chapter 2 Look on their interests, not on your own. 
So it's not strong or weak, but each Christian interacting with other Christians says, I care more about that person than I care about myself. And the purpose then is the prayer that he makes in verse 5 when he says that they may with one voice, I've missed, I missed my key word, that together, together you may with one voice glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, there's, there's some clauses that you kind of walk through in the passage. For, okay, it starts with, you seek to please each other. And then I draw an arrow to that. And the reason we seek to please each other is ultimately because the example is Christ. See that in the passage? Let each of us please our neighbor. And the purpose is that I might build up my neighbor, that I might seek the good of my neighbor, meaning my fellow church member. Because that is exactly what Christ did. He set the example for us. Taking on our reproaches, not pleasing Himself. Okay, And we take comfort from God and from the Scriptures. I love the way this passage talks and, and the words that are used. It says, you know, what are we going to need to do this? What are we going to need to please each other? What are we going to need to lift up each other? What are we going to need to put up with each other? Because living in community, you've got to live with people that sometimes you disagree with and sometimes, frankly, rub you the wrong way. But none of that matters because you're still commanded to gather, pray, labor, serve, sympathize together with those people. So what do we need to do that? You know what two things we need? We need endurance, we need persistence, and we need uh, encouragement. And look at what the passage gives us. It says, whatever was written, this is verse 4, whatever was written in former days was written for our instructions. Look, that through endurance and encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. May the God of, use the same words, endurance and encouragement from God. We take our endurance and encouragement from God and from the Scriptures to enable us. It is not just a matter of you getting in your car and saying, well, my pastor wants us to have those idiots out to eat. You know, <laughs> Those people we don't get along with, I guess we better have them over. I guess we better ask them how they're doing from time to time. Call them up on the phone. Text them. Pray with them. Oh boy. He's really getting after us. That's not, that's not the idea. If it comes from a human source, it'll fail. The encouragement endurance comes from God and the Scriptures and from the example of Christ. And when we do that, when we please each other, the result is that we are living in harmony with one another. In homothumadon, right? That's the word we talked about. In accord with Jesus Christ at the center Christ is at the center. He is what we all share in common. And now we're living in harmony. And it's all because every one of us walks into these doors and says, what can I do for everybody else? Not what can they do for me? And the fellowship and togetherness is strengthened over time. And people walk into this place. And they walk out and they, they could, you know, before they even get to the, the, the message of God's Word, they are either turned on or off by the relationships that we are expressing to each other. There are so many factors that go into a person saying, I think I want to explore Christ, or I want to explore Christianity, or I want to explore this church before they ever hear the pastor open his mouth. This type of harmony and unity can be sensed by others. And they are then, Matthew 5.16, able to glorify your Father in heaven because they see your good deeds. They walk in and they sense the love and compassion that is shared and the glorifying together of God that is shared. They can sense that. People can sense that. I wish 
we had the guts, and, and this, this is not something we would ever do, but we say, okay, uh, the first Sunday in August, we're not having church. Pick another church to go to and then come and report on how it went. You, you could walk in. It's probably been so long since you've walked into a new church, some of you, that you can sense immediately the atmosphere of that church. You know exactly if it's a loving church, an unloving church, if there's problems or issues, you can immediately sense it. You haven't even heard the pastor speak yet. So it comes from encouragement, endurance of the Scriptures, glorifying the Father. Christian community and camaraderie should be a natural thing for believers now because we all have the indwelling Spirit, we all have a common faith, we all have a shared Savior. So as we strive for this togetherness, let me give some very quick applications. Okay? Six of them. And then we're done. These are very basic applications based on what we've just discussed for the last 40 minutes. Okay? First, develop better friendships. Develop better and deeper friendships. Okay? Develop deeper friendships. This, there, there, there must be an investment. See, and now, now what's going to happen is you're going to go up to somebody afterwards or you're going to invite them out or whatever. They're just doing this because we just had a sermon about it. <laughs> it's got to be an ongoing, consistent thing. It's got to be. And it's got to happen outside these walls. It's got to invite people over to your home. Invite people out to lunch or ice cream or, or say to someone, hey, we're going to see the fireworks uh, at this time. Would you come and join us? So many times we just, we just don't even think about maybe including somebody else. Maybe some of you have plans for this week. You're going to have a barbecue. Well, call somebody and say, hey, we got a few extra hot dogs. Come on over for a couple hours. This is where that sort of investment happens. I need to do a better job at this as well. Second, let's, let's knock it down to five. Develop friendships. And I would just say it has to happen outside of here. It has to happen outside of here. Second, put others first. We just kind of talked about that. Seek their good. Seek their edification. Seek their blessing. Seek their growth. Seek their encouragement. Even when things happen to you that are terrible, right? When things that happen to you that are terrible and difficult, and you're still reaching out and looking out, that is such a sign of spiritual maturity. Fourth, knit your hearts together with each other in prayer. Knit your hearts together with each other in prayer. Find greater ways to pray with each other. Outside of this building, of course. We do it here. We're going to do it here. But find other ways to do that. Ladies, call up other ladies. Hey, let's meet for coffee and just pray and talk. And, and these gatherings and these fellowships can be sanctioned by the church. right? We can say, we're going to have a men's breakfast, we're going to have a ladies' fellowship, and, and then it's just, it kind of becomes too formal. There has to be just an, an ongoing natural relationship building process. Let's cut it down to four. Let's, let's, because I'm kind of combining some of these four. And this comes from Hebrews chapter 10, which we didn't get a chance to look at. Spur each other to love and good deeds. Spur each other to love and good deeds. All these things have been kind of nice and flowery until you get to this one. Because a spur is not a nice thing, especially for the horse. Maisie has this little pinch collar. If she does something wrong, you grab it. Nope. She'll, she'll squeak. 
It's not meant to do damage to her. It's meant for her good. Oh, she's running to the road? Oh, she's barking at the neighbor? You know, the spur to a horse is meant to move on, frankly, a stubborn beast. And there's some stubborn beasts sometimes in the Christian faith to move a stubborn beast to action. And sometimes it's painful. So the friendship isn't all just a good-to-see-you, superficial uh, love and flower friendship, but it's meant to be a friendship where you see something in the person's life and you, you actually challenge and encourage and convict them, at least attempt to through the Word, to greater love and greater good deeds. Folks, the Christian life is meant to be experienced together. It used to be when we take the kids to Northland Camp in Wisconsin, they had a phrase that kind of marked their ministry and they called it a life-touching life ministry. I never liked that phrase, but I kind of do now. Life touching life. We are not or we cannot be a group of disjointed Christ followers. We've got to come together in a cohesive togetherness for the greater purpose of giving God the glory. So what areas are there that we've talked about today that you could do better at? There's your challenge for the week. All right, let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for bringing each one of these people together God, give us a deeper and greater love for the members of our church family. Increase our devotion and commitment to one another. Increase our affection and attention on one another's issues and needs. Father, spur one another on to love and good deeds through our conversations and strengthen the fellowship. God, I feel like each... that, that In regards to commitment to doctrine and worship and even in a sense evangelism... But, but the fellowship seems to be an area that we as a church need work on. So please have mercy on us. And, and may this be a, a point in the future that is a great strength of grace, that, that this a loving, communal, fellowshipping church that cares deeply for the needs of others and places them above even our very own. God, grant that we would see improvement and fruit in this area for your honor and your glory as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, take your songbook. Let's uh, sing a closing song, uh, one that we used to.